Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again we come before You and implore Your manifest presence among us. We know that You have told us that where your people meet, you're there. You even said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. So we know you're here. So oftentimes, we come and we go through the motion. But we do not have that manifestation that can only come from You that speaks to the heart and to the soul of the new man, the inward man in Christ Jesus. We know that our salvation is not based on feeling, but upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, we covet those times when our cups are made to overflow. When we read Your Word, it seems as if the meaning jumps off the page into the depths of our hearts. It comes to us fresh and alive. Nevertheless, the just shall live by faith. <coughs> Again, we pray for your men whom you have called out of the walks of life to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. We pray for faithful men, men of honesty, men of integrity, men of strength, Pray, our God, that you would <clears throat> bless the gospel that is preached, and that it might bring conversions. 
We know that only you can give life. But we also realize and know that unless you bless the preaching of the gospel, it will be just sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. We pray that you would, as we said, bless the gospel to go forth. That there might even be a revival throughout the land. We know that it will find lodging in the hearts of your sheep. we don't know who all the sheep are. Thou knowest. So help us to be faithful to you and to your word. And again, we ask your blessings on the continuance of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We... As you know, we're looking at 1 John chapter 2, and we were looking uh, last Lord's Day at this section of verses 18 through uh, verse 20, <clears throat> and uh, actually uh, we want to take up a little bit now and look somewhat at... Uh, Verse, take up in verse 21. I want to read uh, 21, 22, and 23. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. It doesn't matter who he is. He that denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. That's the Word of God. That's not my opinion. That's the divine statement as John wrote it by inspiration. Furthermore, he says, he is an antichrist, or yeah, he is antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. In other words, if a person denies the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not only a liar, but he doesn't have God. He is separate and cut off from God. But he that acknowledgeth the Son 
hath the Father also. Now you will note that the but he that acknowledged the Son hath the Father also is in italics, which means it is not in the original uh, Greek text. But it is obvious that if someone denies the Son, he doesn't have the Father. And so if he doesn't have the Father, it is obvious that he that acknowledges the Son has the Father. So it doesn't do violence for the translators to add that, to have added that by way of clarification. But here we see the concept of truth versus a lie. John said that he, to, to those to whom he had written, that they knew the truth. He didn't say, I'm writing unto you to teach you the truth. He said, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. You know the truth. Now, someone would automatically say, how much truth does a person need to know in order to be a Christian? I don't know that I can answer that. I don't know that any other individual can answer that. We probably <clears throat> could answer it, uh, answer the negative of that more than we could the positive. And that is, we could probably say, some, someone is not a Christian if, for example, if he denies the Son, he's not a Christian. If he denies the Son, he's a liar. If he denies the Son, he's Antichrist. But to say how much a person must know, again, uh, I'm not prepared to say that, but to say that basically to one degree or another, he knows that Jesus is the Christ. He knows that. The thief on the cross... We do not know how much he knew about Christ before he was put on the cross. People have summarized or, or, or surmised that, well, probably he knew that Jesus was around because of the miracles that Jesus did and all of the opposition and probably heard Jesus speak and this, that, and the other. He may have, but he may not have. The Bible doesn't tell us. We do know that when he was first put on the cross, he and the other thief uh, ridiculed Christ. 
and said, if you're who you say you are, then do something about it. I'm paraphrasing it. But then later, and we cannot say how much later, but uh, in my mind, it seems like kindly at the last minute, because <clears throat> we know Christ was put on the cross at three o'clock and at twelve, excuse me, at nine o'clock and at twelve o'clock, uh, at noon, uh, the sun was darkened. So sometime between nine and, and twelve, this thief had a turnaround. And notice what he knew. Notice what he knew. He knew that Jesus was a king. He said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. He knew he was a king. He knew he had a kingdom. The thief knew that he got what he deserved. He rebuked the other thief. And there were several different things that we can uh, ascertain from all that the uh, thief said. Did he understand justification? Did he understand what it meant and what a faith role is in justification? Did he understand regeneration? Did he understand uh, propitiation? Adoption? The atonement? Redemption? Perseverance? We don't know what all he understood. Did he understand the Trinity? See, none of those things are, are said about the thief. But he knew Christ. He knew Christ. And he knew when something was said that wasn't right. I'm going to uh, use an illustration that I've used many times before of that dear sister that uh, Y'all have heard me speak about, and probably you know who I'm fixing to talk about, uh, Sister Annie Henson. She uh, taught herself to read and to write so she could read the Scriptures. This was after God had converted her. I've spent the night in her home. Very poor surroundings. I don't ever remember seeing a theology book in her home. Probably she would have great difficulty in ascertaining some of the theological uh, issues that might be presented in the language sometimes that theology books are written. But some Jehovah's Witness came to her house one time 
And while I'm at it, Jehovah's Witness is not Christian. They are a cult. And I won't go into all the reasons why for that, but that's uh, quite obvious. But the, uh, they said, can we talk to you about Jesus or about the Bible? She said, that depends on what you have to say. So they started talking to her. And after a while, she said, you've said enough. And shut the door on them. Now, if you were to ask her what Jehovah's Witness believed, she wouldn't probably would not have been able to give you any tenets of their doctrine, of their work salvation, their denial of the Trinity, and other things, uh, other such doctrines. But she knew enough to know that something they had said was not according to the Scriptures. It was not according to the truth of Christ. And this is what John is saying here as he wrote to these Christians that were being bombarded with Gnosticism. The Gnostics were the intellectuals of the day. If you were not able to speak their sophisticated language and their uh, insight, as they thought, of what was real and what was not real and what was genuine and what was uh, not genuine and things of that nature, they claimed that they had a superior intellect into the things of God that nobody else knew but them. Much like Jehovah's Witness. In other words, Christ can only be seen in their kingdom halls. <clears throat> but anyway... But John says to these saints, these Christians, he said, you know the truth. You know the truth. You know the truth. Now, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong. In, quite, in, in fact, it's, it's quite uh, advantageous to study the doctrine of the Trinity, to study redemption, justification, propitiation, regeneration. And, and the more you can know about those doctrines and the truths of the Scriptures, that's, that's a good thing and, it, and, and very advisable. I'm not against study. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not against study. <clears throat> and I wouldn't have somewhere between uh, twenty five hundred and three thousand books if I was if I was against studying. So I've, I've you know I've got a little small library, but <clears throat> and I uh, no I haven't read all of them, <laughs> but but I've read about uh, uh, a third of them at least. 
<clears throat> and still reading, still learning. But we cannot get around the fact that you cannot be a Christian and not know Jesus Christ. You cannot get around that fact. Actually, we're going to see some things quite concrete about that. Well, you can't get any more concrete than what these three verses say. They mean what they say. I'm not smart enough to make them say something else. I believe when it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, I believe that means what it says. And when it says that these little children, because you remember back in verse 18, he said, little children, it is the last time. In other words, when he talks about little children here, as we pointed out, he's talking about all of God's children. You know, we, we saw the little children in verse 13, that that, that was, uh, could possibly be different. But this word, little children, is, this is that other one that's in the first verse of the second chapter, and so on, and throughout several times where John says, little children, little children, little children. Talking about all of God's children, not just some of them. Not just the uh, those that have uh, studied theology. Little children... I've written unto you because you know the truth. And no lie is of the truth. And who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Now I don't care whether that's a Jew or a Gentile. I don't care whether that's a Muslim or a, Christ, or a professed Christian. Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. And he's antichrist. He's against Christ. It aggravates me to no end to hear of people talking about people that profess to be Christian that believe a bunch of junk and live a life that is worldly instead of a life of Christ. While the world and the enemies of God proclaim various ideas and opinions of Jesus, 
the child of grace has been born from above and knows that Jesus is the Christ. We've referred to this many times in many sermons prior to this, but I keep I keep going back to it. John ten, just for one place. John ten. He talks about the sheepfold at the first part of that. But in verse 3 it says, To him, well, let's, let's just go ahead and read, start verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, that is, to the shepherd, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his, the shepherd's voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now that sheepfold had several different flocks of sheep in it in the night. And there very likely would be more than one sheep that had the same name. In other words, uh, I'll just make up some names. There might have been two or three Betsy's Say there are five or six flocks. And so let's say there were three Betsy's. Two spots. And you could go on and on with names for the animals. But when the shepherd called Betsy that was his sheep, there's two of them that didn't go. You know why? They didn't know his voice. And when he called Spot, there was one Spot that didn't do anything, but the other Spot did. Why? Because they knew the voice of the shepherd. They knew the voice of the shepherd. And it says, a stranger they will not follow. 
That's why two Betsy's in one spot didn't go anywhere when this one shepherd called for his sheep. In verse 14, we'll skip down through a lot of this. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. I not only know the sheep, the sheep know me. I know the sheep, the sheep know me. He didn't say I, I, he didn't say I call them and they might follow. He didn't say I called them and uh, they may not understand. No, He said they, they come. He said, I know my sheep and they might know me. No, He said they know me. Period. Without question. This is what John is talking about in his epistle. And as we've already said, anyone that denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is not only Antichrist, he is a liar. But it also says, he that denies the Son equally denies God. It cannot be that one can love God and hate or deny Christ. They stand or fall together. <coughs> In connection with this, look at the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and verse 23. Jesus said that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent Him. John saying the same thing in, in John 5, uh, 23, as he said here in 1 John 2, 23. Maybe that will help you to remember it. Both of them are 20, the 23rd verse. John 5.23, 1 John 2.23. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Well, we could say a lot more about that. But I want to make it clear. I don't want anyone to guess what I believe about this. And I don't want anyone to uh, read over these verses quickly and deny what it's being said. Because if you deny what this is saying, you're Antichrist. You are a liar. And preachers that preach contrary to this are preaching a lie. They're liars. 
Let that sink in. It is a serious thing and it is to one's own destruction to deny that Jesus is the Christ. When I have read men that profess to be ministers, even among our own denomination, that would say that Muslims and people that worship false gods could be saved and still worship Muhammad and worship those false gods. That God could save a Muslim? Yes. That He could save uh, a, a pagan Idolater, yes. But when he's saved, he's delivered from those things. He knows Christ. And he knows the Father. You say, well, how can that that be? Well, it really... It really takes up in part of the uh, this next section, but let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verses 44 and 45. No man can come unto me, that is, unto Christ, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. No man can come. Now you have preachers all over the world that say, if anybody wants to be saved, they can do it. No man can come except the Father first drawing. No man can come. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Everyone whom God regenerates comes to Christ. All of them will be taught of the Father. You say, well, they have to be taught by a preacher. He didn't say that. God may use the preacher. He may not use the preacher. He may use a lot of different things. But this much I know and believe that God, independent of any man's ability, 
changes the heart of the elect. He changes the heart. I read uh, recently and actually I quoted this man in one of my podcasts that's coming up in the future. Quoted Albert Barnes on uh, uh, he's noted uh, a noted commentator in the 1800s. He was a lot of people uh, think he was quite sound and everything, but he was a new school Presbyterian. He wasn't an old school. And he said that faith is something that comes out of the, 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 the mind of man. He said faith is not something that God puts into man's heart and mind. Now that's what he said. I put the quote in there. And then I emphasized that did you see what Mr. Barnes said? He said faith comes not from anything God put in there, but it comes out of the mind of man. But Ephesians 2.8 says the faith is a gift of God. God gave it. God gave it. Now, in his quote, it was quite dressed up in such a way you had to read it carefully. But my point is this, that it is God that changes the heart of an individual by the immediate work of the Holy Spirit. And even after they have been born again, there is some instruction that a child of grace receives from the preacher that causes him to know more of Christ, the only reason that individual knows more of Christ is because God has blessed what was being said to his heart. It's not because of the wisdom and skill and intellect of the minister. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What are we showing? We're showing how it is that a child of grace comes to the knowledge of Christ. It is by God. Now it's not like, well I almost uh, hate to make that statement, because I don't know uh, how God may work with everybody. But normally it's not like a person is sitting around and all of a sudden something zaps him and he, he says, hey, I believe Jesus is the Christ. It's usually not anything like that. Something may happen to him, but he doesn't know what until he hears the preaching of the gospel. 
But God may work various ways. I know of one individual that her testimony is that she went to sleep. She didn't know Christ, but she woke up a different person. And we've heard the story about Brother Hunt as a teenager sat on the back row. His father was a minister. <clears throat> he didn't like being there. Uh, he'd go to sleep during the preaching. He woke up a different man. Well, that normally doesn't happen. I cannot pinpoint a time in my life when I can say, this is when God touched my heart. Mine was kindly a journey. <clears throat> and most of us, it's kindly a journey. But still, it's God that changes. At one point, at some point in my life, unless I'm deceived, at some point in my life, I was dead in sin. And the next moment, I was alive unto God. First Corinthians chapter 2. Well, I'm almost. I'm not going to cut it short. Let's start in verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, for nor are the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. By the way, that word ordained is the word that translated predestinate in other places. This wisdom was, this mystery was predestinated. Which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now notice what it says. The eye doesn't see. The ear doesn't hear. What is it that the eye doesn't see, nor the ear hear, and does not enter into the heart of man? The things that God prepared for them that love Him. Those that love God, and we'll see why they love Him here in a moment, but God gave them something that their eyes could see, their ears could hear. Other people, they couldn't hear it. Why did you hear the gospel 
and read and study the Word and know and other people don't. God changed your eyes, changed your ears, changed your understanding, changed your heart. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What knoweth, for what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man that is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither, know, <clears throat> neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is just of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that, we, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." The only reason that we're any different than anyone else because God changed our hearts. He taught us. God teaches His children. God teaches His children. One last place. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. <clears throat> Here the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Jeremiah 31. Now I'll start in verse 10 for time's sake. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now that includes us Gentile believers. God said, I'll put my law in their minds and in their hearts, and they'll, they'll follow me. He said, I'll do it. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Sound like John 6, does it not? Sound like 1 Corinthians 2. You say, well, I, I'm, just a, I'm just one of God's least of His children. He said, they're going to know me from the greatest to the least. You may, you may be just a, a, sweet, uh, a street sweep, uh, a, a street sweeper <laughs> in the kingdom of God, but you know Him. Now, I don't say that a street sweep, sweeper is a, 
is least, but you get what I'm trying to say. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which is decayed and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Yes, John said, I've written unto you because you know the truth. No lie is of the truth. Anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ is not of the truth. He's a liar. He's Antichrist. And he not only has denied Christ, he has denied the Father also. Pretty plain, isn't it? Pretty plain. Let's pray. Sobering words are God. Sobering indeed. Nevertheless, these are your words. And we either bow to them in this world or we will ultimately bow when every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is the Christ. Thank you, our God, for having mercy on our wretched souls. There surely was no virtue in us that caused you to set your grace upon us. Help us to really appreciate it as we ought. In Jesus' name, amen.